Good morning. I'm Tammy, compulsive reader and food addict. And thanks for asking me to share today. Um, I, you get my sticking up hair because I had to do my prayer and meditation this morning before I could come. And that meant getting up at four instead of five. So um, please excuse my um, hair. So I have been in OA since 2003. I have many relapses under my belt and I could not get abstinent until seven and a half years ago, at which point I got black and white, no holds bars, weight and measured abstinent. Well, abstinent, which means I don't eat compulsively or engage in compulsive food behaviors. And that's just my food plan, what I just talked about. So one of the things that I like to start off by saying is that, you know, I, I have childhood trauma. I have a son who's an alcoholic and is in and out of psych wards. I've been in the psych ward. I have a mental illness and I have suicide attempts and all that. And I don't say that for any other reason than to say, and I'm abstinent because I believe that I can stay abstinent under any and all conditions. And it's one of my prayers in the morning when I get on my knees, I say, God, please keep me abstinent today, no matter what this day brings, job or no job, husband, no husband, you know, whatever this day brings, let me just keep my abstinence because that's the most important thing. Because without my abstinence, everything else falls by the wayside. And if I continue to eat compulsively, I will die. And the big book tells me that to drink is to die. And I believe that with all of my heart, because I believe that to eat for me is to die. Some of the problems I had in OA, and this is just for me personally, is that first I came in and I got somebody handed me a food plan and said, stick to this food plan. And I thought that meant I was abstinent. If I just ate the food plan, called my food in every day and committed to only eating what was on there, then I considered myself abstinent. However, I never grew emotionally or spiritually so that that eventually led to a relapse. Then I came back a second time and I wasn't worried about the physical. I was worried about the emotional. So I went to therapy and I did the therapy work and I did the self-help books and I tried to become a better person emotionally through those things. And I ended up relapsing because I didn't have the spiritual or the physical piece. So then my best thinking said, well, let's get the spiritual piece. So I dropped the other two pieces and I went to started going to church and reading um, inspirational books. And I started going to a Buddhist Sangha and I new age and, you know, you name it. And I tried it. And that's because I thought that if I just got the spiritual piece, I would stay abstinent. And it wasn't until I came in seven and a half years ago at 300 pounds and wanting to die that I realized that I needed all three pieces. So I found a sponsor who had all three pieces and I asked her to be my sponsor. And the first thing she said to me is, are you willing to go to any length to get this? And at that point I was. And I still remember the day I got on my knees. I remember the bedroom. I remember the setting. I remember the walls. I remember everything about it. Whenever I got on my knees and I said, God, I don't care if I never lose this weight. Just please remove this misery and this obsession with food. And from that day on, I have never had an obsession with food. I put the food down that day and I've never had to pick it up again. And that is a miracle of this program. And that's the miracle of having all three components of this program. 
also when she said, are you willing to go to any lengths? I said, absolutely. She said, good, make a list of your alcoholic foods. And I was like, what are alcoholic foods? And she said, there are foods that you can't eat because alcoholics can drink tea and coffee. They just can't drink alcohol. There are certain foods that you can eat. You just can't eat your alcoholic foods. So write them down and don't eat them. And that made everything so clear because it just put boundaries around what I can eat and what I can't eat. And it just changed my recovery. I then eventually got to a place where I did want to lose some weight. So I went to see a nutritionist and got on a food plan. My food plan is not my abstinence. My food plan is just what I eat to keep me from not obsessing over food. So it's my non-alcoholic foods, weight and measured, because I need that because I can eat volume as well. And then I, that's what I eat every day. After my physical recovery this time, I got emotional recovery. And I'm going to read a little bit from a book, Emotional Sobriety, in a minute. But one of the things this woman taught me, who was my sponsor, is that I had to be willing to go to any lengths. And that meant working the steps. That's the lengths I promised to go to. And she took me through the steps in order quickly, one step a week until we got through them because she said that, you know, now that I didn't have food, there was an urgency to working those steps. It wasn't a, you know, you can have one month on your fourth step and, you know, you can do it this way or do it that way. No, it was urgent. Like if we don't work these steps and you don't change your life, you will eat again because you have to, because you can't handle life. You can't handle the feelings I had and the all that, you know, trauma and drama that I created without some kind of change in who I was and everything about me. And that's what she taught me when we worked the steps. This past year, at two years, I've been working with another sponsor who is teaching me about emotional sobriety because she said, you know, you're at a place where the food's down. Let's talk about your emotional sobriety and your spiritual health because God has removed the physical allergy from me. And I don't have cravings for food anymore today because I am recovered from food addiction. Now, the emotional sobriety is part of what I'm working on now. And it's a lot harder than putting the food down was a lot harder because every day I have to look at who I am, who I was, what I did, what I said, and I have to analyze that, assess that, and then turn it over to my higher power. The other thing that's happened this past year is that you know, I used to be, as I said, I had mental health disorders and I used to be on so much medication that I was like a zombie and I needed to be for a long time and that was okay. But in the last two years, I've gone off almost all that medication because the steps have taught me to handle life on life's terms. So now when I feel depressed, I say, God, I'm feeling really sad today. I'm depressed. My old well-worn carpet is to get in bed and hide from the world and escape. But for today, I turn that over to you and I ask that you let me turn my attention to helping someone else or doing whatever's in front of me. And that's something else my sponsor taught me is that turning my attention doesn't mean I have to go save the world. Turning my attention just means that I have to do whatever's in front of me. So if whatever's in front of me is to dust my desk, then that's enough because that's what my higher power wants me to do because that's what he put in front of me at this time. Also, I am not anti-medication and I still take some, but I don't need to be on as much as I was before. The same with my anxiety. I used to suffer from such severe anxiety that I just was a nervous wreck most of the time. I was a college professor and I would stand in front of my classes shaking and quivering, trying to get a lesson across because I had that much anxiety. 
And then I learned the same tool that I could take my anxiety, bundle it up and put it here and say, God, please remove my anxiety and let me turn my attention to what you would have me do or be. So that's taken away a lot of my anxiety. My current sponsor and I, I call her once a day and I do a 10 step every night and 11 step every night and in the morning. And I truly believe that that helps me stay in touch with my higher power. And one of the things I've learned about sponsorship is that a sponsor's job in my mind and heart is to lead me to my higher power. It's not to tell me what to do or control me or tell me you know, what I should do. It's to always lead me to God and back to my higher power, who I call God just because it's easy. So she always, when I call her, she'll say, first of all, she'll always say, what delusion are you operating under at this point in time? What's the lie that your disease is telling you? And then after we talk through the lie that my disease is telling me, she'll then say, go talk to your higher power, ask him to remove it and turn your attention. And that's my solution for every problem today is to turn it over, turn my attention. I want to read a section from Emotional Sobriety because Bill Wilson suffered from depression. And he says in one paragraph, he says he figured out why he was depressed all the time. And he said, suddenly I realized what the matter was. My basic flaw had always been dependence, almost absolute dependence on people or circumstances to supply me with prestige, security, and the like. Failing to get these things according to my perfectionist dreams and specifications, I had fought for them. And when defeat came, so did my depression. And I relate to that because when I looked at things outside of myself, and this has been one of the other lessons in my recovery lately, when I looked to my husband to fill me, or I look to a sponsee to fill me or my sponsor to fill me or my students to fill me, I am making other people or other things my higher power. So if I stand in a classroom full of people and a student in the back talks and I get all flustered and worried about it and do they like me, do they not like me? That is putting a faulty dependence on things outside of myself to fill me. I'm making those things my higher power and I don't wanna make those things my higher power. And my sponsor will always say, oh, so the students are God now, huh? And I have to realize that, no, the student isn't my God. And that in my God's eyes, I am enough the way I am. And that's a lesson I learn every day in recovery now, that God makes me and puts me in places that I am meant to be. Lately, I, I actually resigned from my 20-year teaching job as a college professor. I took a job as a literacy specialist in an elementary school, something I've always wanted to do. And I'm going back for a master's degree in reading specialist to continue in the elementary school setting. And that all fell into place. And I heard somebody say the other day, God block it or bless it. And that means that when I have an idea or I think I have a, this great thought or this grand idea, if my higher power blesses it and everything just falls into place around it, then I can assume that's my higher power's will. If I'm pushing and shoving and trying to make things fit into the box that I think they should fit in, then that means that I'm taking my will back from my higher power. The other thing that I believe is that the steps in the big book have the answer to all my problems today. I believe it's a guidebook that can just help me with any problem in any situation I have. And I use it religiously to find the answer to all my living problems today. The other thing I know, and I always tell my sponsees, is that 
you know, because the big book tells me that there's, a, you know, I have work to do in my house. So it's really easy to come here and be nice to you guys because I'm with you for an hour and we chat and, you know, we encourage one another. But once the camera turns off, how do I treat my husband? How do I treat my friends? And it's been a learning process to learn how to treat my husband. And my sponsor is a married woman and she's really helped me with that. So she helped me realize that my husband isn't my end all be all. And I used to have a binge planned. Like if my husband left me, here's where I'm going to binge and here's what I'm going to have and here's what I'm going to do. And it wasn't until this recovery when I gave that up and I said, you know what, if he walks out tomorrow, I have people to call, I'll be okay and I'll still be enough in God's eyes and I'll have lots of friends to come help me. This program has given me so many friends that 25 years ago when my husband proposed to me, I didn't have a single person to call. I had no friends. I didn't know, you know, because he even said, don't, who are you going to call? And I was like, I, I didn't have anybody. And at my wedding, I only had one friend who came because and it was a small wedding, so it didn't look ridiculous. But um, that's all I knew. I knew loneliness and sadness, and I didn't know how to be a friend or to be a partner. And I also was dependent on my husband for everything financially emotionally. He was my entire world. And recently he said to me, geez, you're so busy. And do you have some time to spend with me? And that's new because I used to have all the time in the world to spend with him because he was my higher power in so many ways. And I depended on him to meet my needs emotionally and spiritually in some ways. So when I call my sponsor and I say, my husband just said this, I can't believe it. She'll say, what's your delusion? Your delusion is that men are supposed to fill women and that he is your higher power and you need to get over that and turn your attention. And she even taught me to wake up in the morning and say, how can I be helpful to my husband? Not how can I talk to all my sponsees this morning and how can I get to a meeting and how can I get to work and help children? But when I wake up, I had to learn to say, how can I serve my husband? And it might be doing his laundry and it might be cooking him a meal for later. Like it just, whatever it is, it's my job to serve my husband as well as every, and not in a like submissive way, but you know what I mean? Like in a kind, caring, giving way. And the other thing I was thinking about this morning was about how, you know, it says in the big book, we can ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what we would have us be. And I'll just read this section. So we never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it is the way of strength. The verdict of the ages. Five is minutes, faith, please. Oh, thank you. Is that. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. At once we outgrow fear. And that to me is what has happened to me. Not only am I in a normal sized body plus a little bit because of menopause, Oh, but it's still normal. But, you know, those of us who have gone through menopause know that little struggle. It's a lot of fun for those of you who haven't gotten there yet. So the other thing I was talking, was thinking about is that I give myself to God every day to make me of service to him. And the other thing the big book tells me, and I have it underlined as the thesis of the big book, is that our higher power wants us to be of maximum service to others. 
And that's my goal for today is to be of maximum service to the people around me and to do my higher powers will and to get the heck out of my own way because my will got me to be 300 pounds in a room where I could barely walk across it without losing my breath. And I, you know, I had to take elevators and I just ran a 5k and that's a, that's this program. That's the amazing thing. And so thank you all for listening. And that's all I have.